uh, my name is Dan Bonstark. I am a PT. We've done a couple other podcasts, and I'm here with uh, Philip Godfrey, who is a medical exercise specialist or trainer. Specialist, an an MES, which we'll we'll talk more about, of course, uh, later. But the reason why we're doing this podcast is that we or Philip wrote an article about shoulder labral repairs and expectations. Uh, when did you write that? It's been a while. 2012, 2012 maybe. 2012, 11, 2011. 12. Um, we, we slapped it on our, on our website, and we have gotten so much traffic and so many questions. I actually went on, went on to the, uh, the job form today, and we have answered, or I, I have answered 2,700 comments over the last... Uh, however many years it's been wow. since you made that. So That's Phil, amazing. Philip wrote this article, um, and I am, I am happy to field questions uh, in regards to the article. So we're taking this podcast, and we're sticking it down at the bottom of the, of the article, mm-hmm. and hopefully some of the people who look at the article actually go to this podcast. And what Great. we're going to try to do is just give some basic kind of layman-type terms and explanations uh, of, of what the article is about and what we go into, and hopefully, uh, you know, educate the public a bit. Fantastic. Um, so, in terms of why don't we why don't we start with, uh, you know, I think the two of us are pretty well qualified to talk about this because you obviously wrote wrote about your uh, about your experience, and you you have two. One, I've on had each, two. one on each shoulder. Same shoulder. Talk twice. about talk about really talk about really quickly how that uh, how that happened. What happened the first time? Well, first time, and I think you have to look at like um, I played football. You know, I was like a I pitched when I was from a little kid through high school, and you get wear and tear through those uh, mechanisms. I guess you could say. Um, so the first, so the hitting first. And, and you know hitting each other and and throwing overhead is a big big issue with with labrum. So so you don't the first time you had, you had surgery for this, mm-hmm. um, it was not one specific incident that caused. Well, it, I would say yes and no. Like the first time I felt like I dislocated was in practice. I was like senior year before season started. I was a defensive end. And I was fighting off a, de- uh, a tight end, and I sort of actually clotheslined the uh, running back. He was, you know, some great kid that was, you know, playing practice team and, you know, reaching out and uh, trying to – basically him? trying to clothesline the kid to make a tackle, and it popped, it popped my shoulder out. And, and I basically dislocated, and I – personally like popped it back into right. place so that, so that brings us to point number one yeah when, when people you know ask people ask questions we're gonna we're gonna try to answer some questions that uh that people field in the in the in the question prompt when, when they submit us a question mm-hmm. if you've dislocated your shoulder it is not a hundred percent certain that you've torn the labrum in your shoulder but it's but it's pretty it's pretty darn uh probable that, mm-hmm. that that's happened does that always have to happen no it doesn't always have to happen right um like you said it with, with you it was probably also a a, a collection of pitching and pitching yeah. throwing etc cetera, etc cetera. that could have like frayed it a little bit yeah. maybe made it uh more susceptible to a full-blown tear at that point when i was younger um and i'm 
I am also almost entirely uh, certain that I have uh, a labral tear on my left shoulder. I have not had surgery for it. I did not dislocate my shoulder. And you're left-handed. And I'm, I'm left-handed. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I would recreationally play tennis, overhead serve, mm -hmm. weightlifting, repetitive motions, that, that type of deal. Right. So I guess we should also talk just briefly about what exactly is the, the, the labrum of the shoulder. It mm -hmm. is... Uh, in your article, mm -hmm. for anyone, anyone who's listening to this podcast, go to Philip's article on our website, Managing Expectations When Recovering from a Labor Repair. There's a good, it's an illustration, right? Yeah, I found some, I found some good illustrations online that, that it, it gives you a great it's a visual. Good, it's a good visual. Yeah, it's a good visual. Um, yeah. and, it, and the best way we can describe it is, so you have the, you have the ball and the socket. Mm -hmm. The ball is, is the humerus bone as it comes up to, to the top, and, the, and that ball kind of loosely sits in that socket. Mm -hmm. The shoulder, as we, you know, as we know, is, is inherently unstable. Yeah. It's, it's pretty easy to injure the shoulder. Because it has so much range of motion compared yeah. to the yeah. other joints. Lots of, lots of range of motion means not very stable and, and vice versa. And it sits in like, you know, think about your like golf tee and a golf ball sitting into the yeah. tee. I mean, that's basically how your, your uh, you know, shoulder joint sits. The golf ball is not very protected. Right. Basically, yeah. that's what we're saying. Mm -hmm. But the labrum is a cartilage ring that sits around, that sits around the outer rim of the socket. Can mm -hmm. I say that right? Yeah. yeah, and actually, the other week someone gave me a good a, a, a good little comparison there. It, it's kind of like the, the the rubber that surrounds a bumper car. Yeah, hey, that make, you know, that hey, sense? that's perfect. Um, so think of that as as a little extension of of the socket part of the ball and socket, but it's not the bone; it's a cartilage ring. But then you have like the bicep tendon, the long head that goes through right. also, and there's there's attachment. Yeah. So your biceps, part of your biceps muscle, attaches right onto it. Mm -hmm. So if you're pulling all the time. Or if you're pitching and your arm has to decelerate, mm -hmm. uh, it's you know, in my opinion, it's a matter of time be mm -hmm. before that becomes uh, an issue. Um, doctors will also, or you will also see in literature uh, descriptions of tears. So say like I have mm -hmm. a twelve o'clock to to three o'clock tear. Right. And I had a me personally, I had like a nine to five kind of tear. It was pretty substantial. On I know the last time I've had two. The first one was in high school. I couldn't tell you exactly how big the tear was, but, but I do a, a know nine, that I mean, nine to five is pretty a substantial. Nine to five means that if, if you're looking at the socket and if you were to superimpose a clock over it, yeah. if it's a nine to five pretty tear, substantial. that means that if you started at nine and went all the way around clockwise to the, where the five is, all of that has pulled off, mm -hmm. pulled off the bone. So that's most of it. Um, some people, you know, will have will have a smaller tear, but a nine to five is, is a big tear. Some people sometimes it will totally detach. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, that's no yeah. fun. Yeah, no. Um, so we talked about the mechanisms of injury. We talked about uh, if if there's a dislocation, you it's probably torn. If it's subluxed, the word the word sublux is clinically used to describe. Uh, less than a complete dislocation of the of the head of the humerus. So a lot of times people will describe they'll say like oh I felt my you know the head of the humerus uh, just like I felt like it kind of popped out but then it just kind of shifted back in. A lot of times I mean uh, uh, to me it felt like because I subluxed I was actually if you you've had a big tear like I did it's multi-directional instability basically where you just you're unstable everywhere pretty much yeah. and subluxation is to me it's more like you know you inferiorly or like on the lower part of the joint you sort of feel like you're you're just sort of 
coming down with the with the head of your shoulder. So it feels like it's got a little space. It's got more space. Describe what that felt like. You know, it feels like your 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 shoulder is basically coming out of the joint when you're just like say you're just standing or you're you know hang or you're walking and you feel like and multi-directional instability feels like no matter what you do if you don't like engage your your delts or your shoulder muscles you basically feel like your your joint is pulling apart is the best way i can describe okay. it and that's way different so this location's like the you know it feels like because i've had both Dislocation feels like your shoulder moved to a different place and it's locked there, and you push it back in, or um, you know, like it pulls so down out of the joint. And, and, and we're saying that's because of a labral tear. Yeah, in my in my example, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. So you're so you're basically telling me the symptoms that you were having mm -hmm. from having a labral tear is that your shoulder just felt like it was quite loose. Yeah. Um, yep. And from from my experience, um, and mine's a little bit different. I have not had mine. Uh, Diagnostically tested. So do you I, feel like yours is more superior, feels, or is it? It feels weak. Like my oh. arm. If, if I try to do a reaching motion with my, with my arm, mm -hmm. uh, it will hurt a lot, mm -hmm. and it will feel like I can't generate full full strength out of mm -hmm. it. Like the, the the example, like when you plugged your computer in here, mm -hmm. when you handed me the plug, yeah. and, and I reached back over here to plug it into the yeah. wall, like that last two, in range eight, of motion two inches when I reached over to that plate, it just all of a sudden it just kind of banged mm. me a little bit. I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. Mm. Um, so those are, those are a couple of, uh, of, of symptoms that you might encounter that might you might be able to differentiate between that and say, like if you had like an impingement of your uh, rotator yep. cuff or rotator cuff tear, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So, but the, I mean, if you want to be 100% sure, surefire, knowledge that you have a labral tear then you have to you know have you sort of have more function with a labral tear I agree. with a lot of pain yes because if you have a if you have a rotator cuff tear you've got your muscle mechanisms that are torn that are allowing you to lift your shoulder or your arm up at the end of the day so you're still going to have range of motion probably but it's going to hurt yeah you know Great. as opposed to you know like a rotator cuff tear you could get known you could have a diagnosis with a Nowadays, it's what an MRI with contrast, yep. that type of thing, yep. which I've been told hurts a lot because they put you in the MRI machine and they pin your arm up yeah. on your head, which That's is not, not fun. a fun place for your shoulder no. to be, anyways. Mm -mm. So um, the, the the diagnostic criteria for that is a bit uh, annoying. Mm. So uh, the next the next question that we have written down here: When is surgery a good idea? So people, so a lot of people will write in. And they'll say, oh, this, you know, this happened or this happened. I've been diagnosed with a labral tear. What should I do? Right. Should I, should I have the surgery? Should I, you know, should I do conservative management? Um, well, as, as someone who's went through it twice, I can say, um, you know, there's, there's, first there's a couple of mechanisms to the injury. We've talked about some of it, like, but um, it, it's interesting because, like, Dr. Andrews, y'all may not know who he is, but he's a big-timer with uh, he's been around for a while uh professional athletes and you know it, it's either like you're an overhead throwing um type athlete say like you know like a baseball pitcher which i did as well when i was in high school or, or you're a quarterback or you know maybe not so much in lacrosse but some of these uh, maybe tennis like dan tennis, had overhead, yeah tennis is a big time yeah. but those like three main sports for sure um if you want to get back to playing that sport and you're young, yeah, 
you kind of, and if you have a substantial labral tear, you you kind of have to have the surgery. You do, you do, and um, at least for a substantial tear. Yeah, and I have to say, like, like personally, I was a pitcher and uh, in baseball, and my senior year after after having the surgery, I felt like my miles per hour went down a lot. You know, and, and that's not good if you're pitching. You know, you're a power pitcher. Like I was, I wouldn't say I was a power pitcher like Nolan Ryan throwing 100 miles an hour, but at the end of the day. You're trying to throw some fastballs by people and and trying to come back from labrum repair how or labor. How long did it take you? Oh, in your mind, you got, you got to search back, man. How long? How and long and I have to you? say, this comes back to really what surgeries back then, because I mean, we're talking like almost 20 years ago yeah, for me, gotten, my first one, almost 20 years ago. Because I'm better. I'll definitely. be 35 next week, and you, you know, you're talking like nearly 20 years. So back then, they would like they would cut your shoulder wide open you know as far as a procedure versus orthoscopic surgery now is way more advanced and you know even even 10 years later I did the second one and it was like maybe seven to ten years later I think that was way more advanced even from you know medicine is changing so they went in measures have improved yeah it has improved and I would say like if if you're looking at the outcomes of your like rehabilitation from when I first started till the second surgery, maybe even till now, you, you have to look at factors like, are they cutting you wide open? Or are they going orthoscopically? And that changes because you're, you know, if you're not cutting into soft tissue too much, then you you can recover a lot faster. I, I know that, the, you know, yeah. deltoid separation. Yeah, other all that. that that's that's, that's going to add. And so from like, time. yeah, like a, like a rehab timeline for like PT, not even getting into your post rehab training, but like just PT wise, I felt like I could definitely progress a lot faster in the second one, even though I've had more damage because they went in orthoscopically. So if it, it you know, it's definitely a lot better. Um, Can we assume now that almost all labral surgeries are orthoscopic? Pretty much. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the, yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw. That. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a surgeon, but I would say more than likely they're probably mostly trained at this point to go. I have it, seen. It's got to be better. Seen cases where multiple things were done at the same time. You, yeah, you've probably got like a bone break or something yeah. at that point that they've it's had a, to actually do right. more more of a of a uh, li, uh, you know like a lesion into the soft tissue to get into there and fix everything. But okay. yeah. so. Basically, what, what what you're saying is that if if you're young and you're a throwing athlete and you want to get back to the throwing, mm-hmm. do the conservative rehab yep. first. I mean, yep. all, I mean, what there's there's no harm in strengthening up your rotators, no, improving your scapular mechanics, and letting the, letting any inflammation calm down. Right. Um, if you're going to want to go back to a very high level of competition, however, that's a that's a whole you, something you got to think about. And and I, I'm. Back to Dr. Andrews, one of the things that he was looking at back in the 80s and really is true today because, I mean, I don't think we've evolved a whole lot, you know, biomechanically in the past 30 years. But, um, yeah, but Dr. Andrews was basically theorizing that when you're a thrower, you're basically your deceleration becomes sort of like a with the with the forces, you're pulling the joint and the shoulder joint over and over and over again, like thousands of reps by the time you're warming up and you're pitching games and all that and therefore it sort of frays slowly over time and then eventually just tears on you how far that may be you know is is case by case but you have to understand that 
a lot of that mechanisms for throwers, if you're an athlete, is you got to learn how to throw with your hips more, and you got to learn how to keep your rotator cuff, like Dan had mentioned, stronger. But when it comes to like a, a lot of things that we do also is, is a balance between mobility and stability. So if you're strengthening those areas, you still need mobility. So if you're like trying to do some release mechanisms, whether it be with PT and, you know, those releases or massage therapy, you should think about like maybe in the case of like my case, like releasing your pec minor pecs and things like that may need to stay a little more tighter to sort of give you stability because you do need that stability because your joint from the inside out, we have to think about training from the inside out and your joint itself has been compromised so you have to sort of keep those things intact whereas if i was a you know like an asymptomatic picture or maybe i'm getting tighter as a picture i may do some release work think about maybe holding off on some of that excessive release work if you're doing massage therapy on your shoulder or any other kind of like um maybe dry needling a lot of physical therapists are doing dry needling maybe you stay away from the uh you know, like I said, the pec minor because you need to have the anterior st- stability there. And you're, we're talking post-op now. We're post so. Yeah, I guess we're sort of building okay. the post-op. I guess I'm giving a big picture, yeah. but... but In, in terms in terms of, of, of conservative, conservative management, this is also... What, what you're hopefully gathering from this is it kind of all depends on what you want to do mm-hmm. a- after the injury. Yeah. I have no aspirations whatsoever to ever fast pitch a ball ever, right. ever again in my life. Or, and, and, and I'm not even, uh, you know, if I wanted to play tennis again, yeah. uh, you know, kind of hardcore, and if it was really bothering me that I couldn't mm-hmm. play tennis and it was really affecting me a lot, I would consider. And I you had the goals. Having, like, it's, what's your goals? I would consider yeah. having it done. So what, I, what I've done instead is that I rehab myself. I've, I've I've gotten my rotator stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, my scapular mechanics are pretty good, and I would I can say from day to day I don't really have any pain. And mm-hmm. it really depends on how major you're. Like if you're considering having surgery, at first you got to consider like your age, which yep. you know, and, Pro- and then secondly, uh, you know, the, the prognosis for the over what. 40, Forty. Yeah. It's if you if you look at the research out there, there's plenty of it out there. Yeah. Uh, if you're over 40 and you're having this done, don't expect, you know, to get back to a to a full 100%. I have I have a, a woman who comes in here whose husband is a very high level senior, like senior senior javelin thrower. Wow. And and uh, she said, is, would he get benefit from the surgery? Javelin throwers, first of all, like that is the epitomization of shredding your oh shredding yeah. Labral tissue Cause you got all that loading there. from the javelin yeah. versus a little baseball or, or a football. And this this yeah. guy, however old he is, like, I I just looked at her. I said, no, like don't have. If he's gonna have the surgery, he's gonna be rehabbing it for for over a year. At, yeah. At his oh age. Yeah. yeah. And he's not gonna. I mean, and, and with the mindset that he's gonna go back and, and throw at a high level, it's just it's a pipe dream. It's not, yeah, it's not gonna I, happen. Definitely. So yeah. temporarily, think about what you need to do afterwards. Uh, and if you can't live with the, with how it's feeling after you've rehabbed it, based on what your goals and your activities are, then. I would right. say that that's that should be the decision maker for you. There's some things you should, you know, like think about and and back to like the procedure itself. Um, they put anchors like when you when you have a slap repair specifically, like they'll put anchors in there. They may even do like, you know, like I said, I, I don't know if we mentioned that earlier, but 
like a, a tenodesis versus a tenotomy, which is the easy way to understand it is either they cut your bicep tendon and they leave it hanging or they cut it and they reattach it. And for me personally, I had mine reattached on the, because I was young, but it, it's reattached on the humeral head a little bit lower because okay, okay. the long head goes through the, for you out there that who may not know, you, you know, the reason you have to work with the long head of the bicep is that it sort of all con- connects in the shoulder joint with the labrum. And therefore, you know, they've decided in medicine, like, it's just better to snip it, bring it down a little bit outside the joint onto the, to the bone. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of people have like, if they cut it and they leave it and let it reattach without reattaching it themselves, a lot of people get pie arms. You know, that may be cool for some people where they're like, oh, I got a big bicep like bulging out like there. Oh, but the other arm, you know, if you didn't have it, that may be a little offset. But at the end of the day, like from a function standpoint, you know, you want some leverage. From yeah, the head of your you bicep. you yeah, because they attach it down to the bone with like a team. The cut and go so method. Probably, I mean, that's probably something for somebody who's older, where they're just relieving the pain and the inflammation and all that kind of stuff, and it, it heals back over time. Uh, those are some things to think about. Also, back and and this goes back to like the procedure twenty years ago versus ten years ago versus now is. They're using, uh, in some cases, they're taking the anchors, which are like screws, basically, or and and they, back then, were real screws. Now they will like dissolve over two years, you know, one to two years, which is good because you don't have hardware. I feel the hardware sometimes. Like I still play ball now and you rub against things. Yeah, you can fit, and it gives you this false sense of, oh, I've messed something up, but really it's just, you know, you, your physiology's changed. So. I'm good. I'm glad that you're leading into this because I want to. I want to kind of talk about like yeah. when you. So you have the surgery. Yeah. Then people. So to go back to some of the questions that people have written in about, and mm-hmm. you're, you're you're talking about this already. Yep. Um, a lot of people want to know how long they should wait to start doing PT after after a, a label surgery, and this is a touchy. This is a touchy subject because there because there's new information on it. And not all doctors follow the new information in, mm. in the new protocols. I would. So my question to you is: When you uh, reach back in your memory, Philip, how soon after the surgery were you actually having your shoulder ranged by the therapist? Yeah, and like, you know, like passive and active yep. ranges of motion. That's that, like the early days when of did your. Happen? You know, the first surgery because they had to open me up so much, and we talked about our earlier, you know, anterior part of the deltoid and all that kind of stuff. It was longer because they. I had to let all that heal up. I can't. I mean, it's been 20 years, so I can't tell you like exactly dates, but I can tell you that, you know, orthoscopically that gives you a little bit quicker timeline. Um, but you definitely want to get in there with at least passive ranges of motion as quickly as possible. Maybe a week or two. I guess they may give you some time because you got to let you have to let your scars heal a little bit. You got to let the like connective tissues got to heal. This is where this is where the controversy comes. Yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And and hopefully we can we can kind of define this. Mm-hmm. Um, the newer pro the newer protocols for labral repair mm-hmm. are very standoffish for the first what, four weeks, sometimes mm. six six weeks. Really? Now I'm not sa- I'm not saying don't do. So any, you're very don't minimalist. Do any, don't do. Any, I'm not saying don't do any passive range of motion. At right, all. right, right. Like if if you want, right. I think most doctors would say would probably be okay 
to, to take your arm out of the sling and maybe do a little bit of like the pendulum exercise yeah, yeah. Just, just to kind of range it a little bit. And with pendulum, like he's talking about, because, and I can tell you from my experience, they've tightened that joint up. So pendulum exercises sort of give you a little bit of, of uh, space you're trying to get back into the joint because it's all tight and you need yeah. to move it around. So that, I think, is okay as long as it's, it is within reason. Right. One thing I will not do as a, as a therapist is mm-hmm. to is to aggressively range a patient into passive passive range of motion. Right. Uh, up to three or it, uh, I'm not comfortable until a good four weeks after surgery. Right. In yeah. terms of moving, I can and see that. The thing that's frustrating is that there are still doctors that will that will you know that that will get referrals from, or I will sometimes get a phone call from, mm-hmm. where the doctor will say, "Hey, uh, Dan." Uh, this person had a labor repair. Uh, he's a week and a half post off. I want you to crank on him. Hmm. And I am, and I lie. Like I but, will, I will lie to the doctor and and tell him. I'll say, oh yeah, sure, I'll I'll uh, do that. When in reality, I'm going to be working on the accessory structures, the rib cage, right, right. the subscap, yeah. the thoracic spine. Maybe have him do some pendulums, and I and I wait until I cross that four week threshold. That also, I think that has to, you know, it's funny. I I have like a my son will be two in December, and and it's all about age too because you can see like how connective tissue heals, and. Um, over time and and the younger you are you're going to be more resilient and heal a little faster if i'm a 40 year old male or female and i'm coming in and i've got this type of injury it's going to take some time and you definitely have to be more conservative i think or even if you're in their 30s i mean i'm in my 30s now and it's like you you got to be conservative if you're in like your teens and you're you might can do what the doc what he was explaining with the doc but even then i would say this is an injury that's going to take time to heal. You st- I would, st- I would and, still be conservative. Still yeah. Conservative about and, it because, and he's the expert on the yeah, on I mean, that some, part of it. Well, some kids too, and, and younger people. Yeah. And and some of the people who have written in too that have, have said the same thing. Uh, they'll say, "I'm feeling so good. Mm-hmm. It's three weeks after the surgery. I feel great. Yeah. So I went out and I and I threw a ball. And I want to say, oh, I want to say, no, like, no, 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 you no. jackass, no." Yeah. Like, like so, so the question, if, oh. you're, if you're going to write me and oh. ask me if it's okay to do something prior to, let's say, like, I'm a crab-ass conservative older person. Yeah, no. If, if it's before six weeks after your surgical date and you are wondering, no. you're wondering if you can do something because you feel great that involves, you know, a complex motor movement of your shoulder no. or doing something like that, mm-hmm. um, no, don't no. do it. No. Don't and you're you're going. Give it six months, and then you can start working on your mechanics again. You you have to do it under guidance. Yeah. Make sure that your PT is versed in in what the newer protocols are, because following anything that's too old school or progressing someone too slow, um, I've been told from numerous sources, and I think I've read in a couple sources that anchors take six weeks to heal. Oh yeah. Into place. Yeah, and that's that's general. Why in God's name would you mess with that, even if you feel good? Yeah. So hopefully I've, I've deflected some questions. And if you're up. if you're an athlete and you're really trying to get back, do you really want to be set back by re-injury? Like, you don't want to go the back worst. under the knife. You don't want to do it. And and those are anchors in there, and they're trying to get the connective tissue to heal and grow back and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it just takes time. Like, be patient. And if you be patient, you'll get the better outcomes long term. If you're not patient, you will – be right back in and guess what you're looking at another year you on top of what you, you already it, did you heard it from philip yeah um he's had it done 
Yeah. And plus, if you if you're too if you're too lofty in terms of in terms of your early goals and doing things, you're going to piss off your surgeon. Yeah. If it if it gets uh, if it gets inflamed, not even right. just I'm not even talking tearing anchors. Like mm -hmm. if you de if you develop uh, rotator cuff tendonitis or or, or something along mm -hmm. that line, that adds a huge amount to your recovery time. Blah yep. blah blah. Long term, I would say the big thing is like. Most people think they're done with therapy, they're done with therapy, and you may be in certain modalities of treatment, but I would say like a lot of those exercises you come in with is that, you know, like your internal external rotation and, and those kinds of things are I's, T's, and Y's. Like, don't forget about those exercises because those are going to also be very valuable for you long term. Yeah, for your sport? Yeah, for your sport, for your, even if you're just doing general function, you're, you know, in your 40s and you just want to be able to like put your dishes up at night, like do normal things. Like you should not forget about. Don't think like I'm moving into long-term fitness and I should forget about these. And I see a lot of like, especially dudes who are like been lifting a long time. And like yeah, I'm gonna pass that. And like no, that just incorporates into the whole structure of your program long-term, and yeah. you address that, and then you build on the major muscle groups with your movement patterns, push, pull, lift, press, Some things like that. Some people maybe even develop labral tears or rotator cuff pathology because they are muscle heads, and they and they strengthen their anterior structures so much, yeah. they end up with such an imbalance. They're, they're, yeah, they're, so that's even all the more reason for you to address oh, your, your scapular yeah. muscles you, and your and your yeah. uh, rotator cuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, two okay. to one. If you do your back two to one on your on your anterior chest, back to chest, that'll help a lot of people who who are looking for more function out of that and don't want to be in surgery. So awesome. that would help. All right, we've already talked for more than 30 minutes, man. So let's, let's talk about specific. I, I want to take some time just to try to talk about the categories of questions that people are writing in. I want to just give quick answers to them. Um, one huge, I would say the most common question that we get on, on this blog that you wrote, Philip, is some man or some woman who has the surgery and with, within the window of the, of the anchor's healing, within four to six weeks, they right. fall. So, so they, and, and so, so I'll, I'll tell you, yeah. Without us, without me being able to evaluate the, right. this this person, they're saying, "Do you think I retore?" Okay, so I actually have a really my second tear. My mom was driving me. We were in a parking deck. I don't know where this is going. Go ahead. And she actually bumped into one of the pillars in the parking deck, backing up. And when we did, it like. It felt like a crash. Like I hit my like newly surgical arm, I guess you could say. I know that's not a word, but I hit that in to the side of the door, and I felt like, oh, Where this is it. Like I've, you I've probably you, you thought you tore it. I'm like, it was so painful. I basically it brought tears to my eyes. Like I was, and I'm a pretty tough guy. I'm just saying. But anyway, <laughs> I, you know, I bumped in. I'm thinking like, I screamed out, did, did and it was of, like, did the head of your humerus hit the hit the Yes. So, like, you, you, if you feel like, if you feel with your hand, your like delts or your shoulder muscles, like that part hit the top of the door, you know, where like the door lock is, because we hit hard, you know, we're like turning and backing up. Okay. So I hit hard. So blood trauma, like, right? Right. And I'm thinking like I'm I'm back in surgery, like I'm I'm like in pain and all that. But the the thing you have to realize is like they put some hardware in there. They have really like locked down a lot of your soft tissue, and unless you get a break, and, and I've looked at some of the some of the research on some uh, like failures and and slap repairs or labral repairs, 
lot of times, like if you have a failure with the mechanism, like a screw that they put in that it's a dissolvable or it's an old one, like like I have, that's where you run into like, oh, it's screwed up. You got to go back in surgery. You got to remove it. It's a little more complicated and, and X Y Z. But in in most cases, I would say like we had an accident clearly, and I was good to go. But it sucked. It felt bad. Give it some time. If you feel instability like a week later, go back to your physician, your physical therapist, see if you can address the issue or, you know, move on from there. But if you're not feeling anything like a week later, you get a little maybe inflammation from the trauma, things like that. People like, will often, I think you hit the nail yeah. right on the head. I'm glad that you said this. Yeah. Like it's, if you hit your arm, especially if you blunt trauma it or fall. Yeah. It's gonna hurt. Yeah. You're gonna, oh, you're yeah. gonna uptick that inflammation by a lot. You're gonna feel like crap, and you're gonna get scared mm-hmm. and psychosomatize yourself into even into yeah. even more. Because you've already been through trauma. That, it, that it's happened. Yeah. So the the only like I would say the vast vast majority of blunt traumas I'm talking about mm-hmm. from people falling on their arm, smacking their arm, someone punching them in the arm. These oh, yeah. do not result in the, in the anchors dislodging. No. The 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 rare t- time or the rare experience where I've seen or heard that happen has more to do with like a traction injury. Yeah, like I mean, I like can see that, yeah. Someone's walking down the stairs and they're about to eat it. And yeah. if they had the surgery a week they ago, catch they, themselves. They, they catch yeah. themselves with their hand, they grab onto the banister and their whole body goes and their whole arm That's just, a lot gets, of sheer force. just gets traction. Yeah. You t- it, you're it, thinking your body weight... You're gripped to a freaking handrail, and your body what is is giving you like shearing or like sliding forces in the joint going down the stairs. I mean, of course, that would be like okay, maybe I gotta go like immediately see my doc or go to emergency care or whatever. Um, but if you're doing like a if you got a little general bump or whatever, definitely like. Give it some time, like a week or so, and see if it feels unstable. And it may even take longer. I mean, it could, maybe, it could, yeah, maybe, if yeah. If you feel that it's, if you bump it and it hurts like hell, but it gets a little bit better from day to day or week to week, you're yeah. probably okay. Yeah. If yeah. anchors dislodge, they usually are disproportionately painful, and the, and the, and the pain oh, yeah. just does not go away. It won't go away. So, yeah. so that's that's something to think about. Yeah. Hopefully, that's answered some questions. Yeah. Um. So, question number two, like slings. People people wearing slings. The doctor gives you the sling Mm -hmm. because the doctor wants you to keep your arm by your side so that you don't grab for the banister when you're falling down the stairs. Um, It's it's there as a a protective thing. And it is is a double-edged sword. The, the the evil to the sling is it pitches your shoulder into a forward position. Yep, and it feels and, weird. It, it and I can say, talk about that. You you feel like like you're you're moving your shoulder anteriorly, you know, and and you're like locked up, and your hands basically almost under your armpit and the other arm, and it, it feels like and that sort of you know from biomechanically it sort of wings you out a little bit too on your on your shoulder blade, scapula, and so you're locked there for a while. And it feels so uncomfortable, and it sucks. And like secondary neck, every, neck yeah. pain. Yeah, and when you rotate your head to the side, it hurts. Yeah. It's a pain. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And you have to kind of. For I don't want to tell people who write in to go against medical advice. No. The doctor says you get that you must wear the sling for four weeks. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you not to wear the sling, even though I think that there's a certain threshold where the sling yeah. starts doing more harm than good. Yeah, you shouldn't do prolonged sling wear. I, I mean, and I. And, like he said, talk to your doc, but um, because you do want to find that balance we talked about, you know, earlier about 
strengthen your shoulder girdle. If you keep it in your shoulder girdle in a stress position, it becomes weak. And you know, maybe knot it up. You know, pec, yeah. Then your pec minor gets tight. Yeah. Everything and, does. And your subscap gets. Then you're back trying to balance out from Ugh. a compromised position. I hate that. So it takes time. Um, uh, one of the things that we look at is like sleeping in recliners, and people like was, have asked a, that's about our, that. That's our next question. Let's, let's yeah. touch on that in a second. But the last oh, okay. last thing. There's one other thing I wanted to say about the sling. Okay. Um, wean off it. Don't go cold. Yeah. Turkey. Don't yeah. go cold turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you when your shoulders immobilize like that in a sling, everything is super weak. And you'll know it when you when you take it off, you know like first take off of your sling, you feel weak and almost like you could be unstable. Yeah. Because, like you well, feel that way when you now take it you're off. Unstable for a di- for a different reason. Yes. Now yeah. the actual now the actual labral, the labral structure or, or whatever else a doctor worked on perhaps has worked to stabilize right. the, the, the shoulder. But you have these these rotator cuff muscles which are super weak because you haven't done jack with them yep. in, the, in the last month. Yeah. So your shoulder's going to feel like it's going to slip out. Big time. So that's don't worry about that if the, if that's you know. It's natural to case. feel that way. Yeah. 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 Some yeah. people free people write that question and they freak out all the time over that. Okay, so that brings us next question: sleeping pain, recliners, good or bad? I thought it was great. I mean, I, I, you know, first time I was in a recliner, second time I didn't, and I had to sleep on the couch, miserable. Okay. Get a cheap recliner, like a if you even if you you don't have a lot of money, get a cheap recliner, secondhand Craig's, yeah, like Craigslist. And um, roll with it because you will be very happy that you can recline back and you're not on the couch because couch feels weird and funky and you're trying to get your you're trying to get propped up but you got a hard like arm on your couch. Do a recliner. And, and as your sleep, so you want to obviously start sleeping in, in, in more of an upright position because yep. it's a little bit easier. Yep. And as as tolerance provides, you start to, to kick that angle of, of, of recline back mm-hmm. a little bit yep. um, as, as you can tolerate. Somebody wrote in with a, with a, with a really cool uh, uh, solution. Like so, some guy wrote in, he was an elderly gentleman, and he said, uh, I'm having the shoulder surgery done. It's being done on my left shoulder, and the reclining bar to the chair is on the left side of the chair. So he's, and he's like, I can't. He's like, I feel horrible. Yeah. I feel like I can't even like rotate over to get it. And somebody else wrote in as an answer, and this is a cool novel. You know, and someone said, I went, to, I went to Home Depot, got PVC piping, attack, like took, took, found the, just the right diameter, slammed it on on top of, on top of the pull bar, so it extended that lever wow. another two or three feet. Bang, problem solved. In, in my case, I just like reclined it back and then rolled into it. That's what I did. That's, if it's like the I think arm, that's yeah. What I, told, I think yeah. that's what I may have answered if someone written that question before. Yeah. But not everybody. I don't think everybody is capable of doing that. So I, I think it just depends on the age. Um, so we talked about sleeping pain, uh, medication. We can we. I mean, wean I'm yourself not, off. I'm not licensed to talk about. Yeah, I can't either. But medication. We're not really that qualified to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You should t- you should talk to your doctor about it. I have you know anecdotally from talking to people with some people medication helps them to get over the hump with pain d- during the first you know two like zero to four weeks. And if you have sleeping problems too, like I had sleeping issues because you're in pain, you know it could last weeks and. You know, your rhythm of sleeping gets way off because of that. You should really talk to your doctor about how to remedy some of your sleep issues. If you're issues. not sleeping comfortably, that is a, or yeah. I shouldn't say comfortably. If you're not sleeping after the surgery, that is a huge problem because you're kind of bypassing part of the reparative process yep. of, of doing this. So talk to your doc about it. And one other little, one other little thought that comes to mind is that different drugs 
in, in terms of their mechanisms, whether you have non-steroidals, anti-inflammatories, blah, 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 some of them work better for some people than other people. Mm -hmm. So just because if, if the doctor, per, you know, uh, if he prescribes to you, uh, I, I don't know, like some type of, like let's say naproxen sodium or something like that in, in, a, in a large dose, if it's not doing anything for you, um, find out how long it takes for the drug mechanism to take place in, term, like, in terms of how long it needs to be in your bloodstream. If you're not getting an effect from it and you're not sleeping, you need to talk to your doctor about that again. Because a lot of times it's just the simple matter of, of making the appropriate adjustment and then bang, you're sleeping better and then you're healing better and then you can, you can tolerate everything um, mm -hmm. a lot better. Um, I think we covered some of the main questions that people have. Is there, is there anything else that, you know, any other big picture things, felt that you, that you can think well, about? Well, I think when you're looking at, like, for some people, it's like, do you get back to sports or do you get back to work? And I, I have to say, like, it depends on the task you're trying to achieve at your work or your sport. Um, if you're doing work and you're overhead, say you're a painter, you know, like you got to do overhead work all day. Um, it may take a little more time or if you're in sports and you got to be a pitcher or a quarterback you it may take time because you got to get back to strength and overhead ranges of motion and um, that plays a factor into your overall recovery if you don't have to do overhead activities yeah maybe you get back a little quicker and that's to you to you know decide in your your physician office, office or your, work yeah I mean you could uh, oh I mean, yeah you could get back to work oh with, yeah like yeah. maybe I would tell people, like, you want to be off for, like, four to six weeks. Oh, at least, yeah. Four to six just to get weeks heel time. just to get the heel time in. Yeah. Um, after that, you could probably start phasing back into, to, you know, to, to, comp to clerical and computer type right. stuff. But the more physical jobs you have to, this is when it's important to have, it, like, a good PT mm -hmm. who knows what your strength is, knows what your tolerance is, and, yep. and can give you a decent window um, it is exceptionally difficult for me to tell someone who's who's posed a question on the internet when they can go back and do a certain yeah. activity because I'm not looking at you. You don't evaluate. Yeah. Yes. So so get you know the the last thought I think we should say here is don't try to answer these questions yourself or or based on what you're what you're reading uh, on the internet or hearsay or whatever. If you're if you're really concerned about certain time windows or recovery windows or what you should be doing or when it should happen, you need to talk to your PT or you need to talk to your doc about yeah. it. I'm happy to answer your questions, but you may have noticed if you go into the through the, <laughs> through the, the, the question service on our blogs, there's a disclaimer that you have to click OK. Like I, I can tell you based on my experiences what I think is OK, but you need to have it checked out mm -hmm. with a set of eyes uh, that, that is in person yep. uh, making sure that uh, you're going the right way. And All I would right, like man. to, I guess with closing thoughts, I'd like to feed off on the on the blog and say, just manage your expectations. Like, sure, your doctor is going to give you a timeline, but you do have to understand that your doc only sees you for so much time. So, you know, Dan and, and myself within the therapy realm and with the post-therapy realm of strength and conditioning, it's a little longer timeline than, than they may tell you at first because that's as long as they see you. So... You know, That's just manage your expectations at the end of the day cool. that it's going to take a little longer than what you may think unless you're just super high level and you're healing up real well and all that kind of stuff, you know. But we're not we're not all like that physiologically, so just manage the expectations going in. Cool. All right, so we've been talking 45 minutes, man. That, that yeah. flew. So uh, feel free to look at any of the blog content. Uh, we are, uh, we're two different sites now. 
We yeah. started as one, we and we and we split into two. Uh, I'm I'm publishing blogs usually every week or two at physiodc.com, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm happy to answer your questions. And Philip, your website is Medex Trainers M E D E X Trainers in the plural dot com. All right, excellent. Uh, Philip, thanks for helping out, man. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Dan. It's, it's, it's time to get a drink. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon.